appreciate the good song selections this morning, folks. Bless my heart. Help me. Today's one of those days where you just, you don't even feel saved. Don't, don't feel good. Aren't you glad we don't rely on our feelings? Amen. I just feel terrible. This sickness and junk goes around, but I tell you, I'm thankful to the Lord. You just come into church and, and um, just start singing about the Lord, and it just lifts up your spirits. And so I appreciate that. It ministers to me, and it helps me, and I appreciate that so much. We'll be back in 2 Corinthians, <clears throat> and we'll be back in the book of 2 Corinthians, and looking to the end of this chapter. Lord willing, we'll uh, just while you're turning there, Second Corinthians chapter number four. Um, we've seen quite a bit of what Paul is trying to relate to us here, and his burden of. Uh, I almost feel as though he's uh, now I'm speaking as Paul the man here. You know, I, his awareness of being under inspiration. You know, and all that, I, I don't know. But, you know, you try to think of the mind of the man who was penning this letter. Uh, I almost, the more I read this book uh, over and over, I kind of get the idea that he's, can I say it this way? Maybe this may just be in my mind. But he's kind of aggravated at the wasting of time. He's, he's, he's concerned with one thing. When he was on the road to Damascus, and God changed his life, dramatically changed him uh, by the gospel and saved him and, and all that he did for him. And then he was commissioned as the apostle to the Gentile. Um, Paul's constant um, desire was to bring glory to the Lord. And by that uh, was to get this gospel uh, to every creature. And uh, so uh, he's constantly driven that way. And it's almost like when you read 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, he's kind of aggravated with them. Like, hey, we're wasting time. I, I, I'm not going to say, well, I'm thinking of the man now. You know, we know that um, the Holy Man of Vegas, they were moved by the Holy Ghost. We know all the, all the scriptures are given by inspiration of God. It's profitable, inspiration, uh, it's profitable for rebuke and all those things. I, I understand the Spirit of God's prayer. I'm not saying that's what God has in mind. I'm saying Paul, as he wrote this letter, it seems like uh, oftentimes do you ever feel that way? When you look at little things that really ought to be nothing, is consuming so much of our time, and the most important Important things are seeming to be left off. Uh, the more you waste time fooling around with who baptized you and who you're of, uh, hey, they're sinners going to hell. Let's not worry about that. Uh, I'm nothing. Apollos is nothing. And uh, uh, he said, thank God I didn't baptize none of you, uh, save a few. So uh, he said, I didn't come to baptize, but to preach the gospel, right? So he's trying to get them focused and stop wasting time and fooling around with things that should be, that are really of no eternal value uh, and get them refocused on what their purpose is of being left in this ungodly world. And I have to believe that. Many great men have said it before me, but that's uh, primarily the purpose in which God left us behind in this world is to see others saved, for us to be fruitful and multiplied, spiritually speaking. Um, and so 
uh, he gets them refocused with their purpose and telling them in that first verse uh, that we are to not faint uh, in getting out this gospel because if our gospel be hid. And so we see our purpose and purity, the predicament, you remember, uh, that we are in and then that they are in. Excuse me, in verse number five, we see our message, our proclamation. We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. Second Corinthians 4, in verse number five, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. And uh, then we see as we move on, I'm just catching this up here quickly, uh, our participation. We partook of this same, uh, have this same experience that we're preaching to others. Uh, in verse number six, for God had commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts. And um, that was, that's a driving force for Paul to reach this world with the gospel because he felt if it could save him, it could save anybody. How did he refer to himself? I'm the chief of sinners, right? And so he felt and was persuaded that the gospel of Christ was powerful enough to save any human being that's breathing air and would believe it. And so he was uh, struck by this God that commanded the light and shined it in his heart uh, so that he has gotten to this place where he sees things that are going on. And as you get older, you'd have to agree, you see things that um, matter to you a whole lot when you're younger. As you get older, they don't matter a whole lot, do they? They seem to just not matter very much. As you get older, you're thankful for one good day where you halfway feel good. You know, not worried about being the lead head basketball player. You're just thinking, the Lord, you can get up that morning without crying in pain. And so things that seem to be so important to you as you're younger, as you get older, they grow strangely dim, as one songwriter put it. And things begin into perspective, especially a Christian in the closing days of his life. He begins to see clearer and things that he spent a whole lot of time on. He probably wished he didn't have and spent more time in getting out the gospel to others. And so I want to encourage you as you're younger to take note of that, that there's no Christian that dies wishing he'd have spent more time on the lake in his boat. They just don't. Uh, they don't wish they'd have spent more time watching Netflix and Amazon and whatever else is out there. Uh, they, they wish they'd have spent more time, uh, you know, bringing glory to the Lord in this matter of getting out the gospel. I, I think um, there's many, many of us, many folks that can die and feel like they were faithful to attend church. Faithful to pray often, faithful to read their Bible, um, but I, I don't know anybody that, that, that feels like they've done enough in getting out the gospel. Do you? I feel like that is something, of course, I've never felt like I've arrived anywhere, uh, but uh, uh, that's one area I think there's always room for improvement. Uh, because we're all given the same amount of hours in one day, and it's important how we spend that time, um, even even though we're working or doing something and not passing up opportunities and getting the gospel out. And you'll be a lot happier person to put life into perspective of things, of um, arguments with family and fightings in the church. Somebody hurt your feelings and said something, or disappointment in somebody uh, uh, trying to win someone's approval that 
that you're never going to win and it wouldn't matter to you if you did get it. Uh, it seemed like, uh, you know, all those things are just not uh, going to ever bring you the satisfaction. The only thing that really seems to, uh, uh, to uh, bring you some satisfaction at the end of the day is when you've get, spent some time, maybe, maybe, maybe reached out to somebody and told them about Jesus. Anybody ever felt dissatisfaction in that? I, as a Christian, I, I mean, I feel satisfaction spending time with the Lord. I feel uh, uh, in one hour in his presence, I believe we sing, I forget which one of those songs, uh, but, um, you know, spending time in prayer and Bible study. Uh, but there's just something about telling others about what Christ did for you uh, when you were lost and astray and without God and without hope and Jesus passed by your way. And he's like the blind, or like uh, blind Bartimaeus, uh, he didn't just pass by, but he stood still and uh, allowed you to call on him and uh, how God's changed you and saved you and made you a new creature and put joy in you. And man, there's just something about that that you just never replaced, that there's no joy to be found uh, uh, anywhere else in this world other than just telling others about the gospel of Christ. There's just something, something about that. Don't you yearn to see people saved? I do. I, I, I hate that we don't see as many saved as we do. I don't, I don't know, you know, it's not our business who believes it, but it is our business and uh, who receives it, don't you think? And uh, so I, I want to see more saved. And I don't, I don't want to meet the Lord at the judgment seat with blood dripping off of my hands of those that I could have given the gospel to and didn't because I was selfish. We heard this morning about self-denial and uh, that's what it's going to take. In this time and hour, it's always took that. Uh, that is discipleship 101. Is self-denial and self-sacrifice. And it will not be easy to give this gospel to anybody. There's been times it's been easier than other times. There's been times you let all kinds of things into your mind. You don't feel worthy. You don't feel like they'll listen to you anyway. You don't, all kinds of things you can let creep in. Uh, and it'll be easier than other times maybe. But it's your flesh will despise getting this gospel out. Your flesh will hate telling others about Jesus probably more than reading your Bible. I know of nothing harder in the Christian life than to tell others about Jesus. Why is that? Anybody know? I have no idea why. Our flesh despises. Because it's so degrading almost to the flesh, isn't it? You think, about, you think about handing somebody even a gospel track. Ezra, you take a gospel track and you hand it to somebody. All the things you have to die to to just give that out. The, the shame of being rejected. Anybody like being rejected? Some of his men know more about that than others. I'm glad you all finally got it. But uh, uh, nobody likes being rejected. Nobody likes being the, the lonely one, the uh, voice crying in the wilderness and nobody's accepting and nobody's listening to. Your flesh doesn't like that. Your flesh wants to be accepted, wants to fit in. When it gets in a crowd of people that hate God, you'd rather just kind of blend in than stand out, wouldn't you? Your flesh. But man, when you go home, there's something in your heart, pricking your heart saying, oh me. Every one of them people are probably going to go to hell, and I'm worried about which one of them had a dress on. Come on. God help us now. Lord help us. I'm worried about which one of them had a tattoo. And I hate tattoos. 
they're wrong. Don't doubt me, they're wrong. God's against all that. I'm against it. I'm against 10 piercings in your nose and earring and everything else. Like one preacher said, it looked like they fell and tripped over into a tackle box. I'm against all that. I am. I'm not for none of them. I don't think a Christian's got any business doing all that. I don't. But, but I'll say this. We're not going to reach this world like that, are we? We're going to have to reach this world with just the power of the gospel and just give them the gospel. Let God do his work in them. God worked in you, didn't he? Boy, some of you, I wish you'd stand up and testify what a mess you was and God found you. I've talked to some of you. What a mess you were. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. But he, he's exhorting them. He's telling them, quit. You know, we're wasting our time with so many things that really don't matter. What's most important is bringing glory to God, and there's no better way to do that than to tell this world about Jesus Christ. There's no better way uh, to do that. And so I, I believe he's exhorting them to that. If you'll remember, and you'll go back, and we'll, we, we might do that here just a little bit and read more of the context of the letter itself, uh, but I, I believe he's kind of like, look, if you forgave it, I forgive it, right? Remember what he tells me, I wrote a, a letter unto you in the first Corinthians, there was a man who had his father's wife, it was not lawful for him to do that, and he said, I've already judged this matter, and being there, put that wicked person out from among you. I've wrote to you and told you not to keep company with fornicators. That's what your Bible said, that's not me, that's what the Bible said. And he said, put that wicked person out from among you. Is that what the Bible said? King James, right? Because I was reading NIV this morning, so I get it confused. It's easier to understand. That's a joke. Somebody's going to take that, Brother Reed, online and run with it, aren't they? I'll never live it down. But no, that's what I get for making my little jokes here. Uh, but that's what your Bible said, not to keep company with fornicators. And I wrote a epistle unto you. And then so then he comes back in 2 Corinthians. He said, now, as quick as you were to judge that matter, I want you to confirm your love towards them just as quick that that person be overtaken with so much, over much sorrow. Right? You repented. It done its work. You done what was right. You stood against sin. And that's what love will do. Love will not stand for that. And you've done what was right and it made that person sorry and now they've come back and now shower them with love. Don't let them be uh, just consumed and destroyed by a problem because you've all created them and you've all been a part of them, right? So love them, get them back into play. But let's move on. We got more to deal with in this. I feel, I feel like that's what's good. It's kind of like, look, problems are everywhere. Trouble's on every side. Trouble's in every person. If it's not you upset today, it'll be me tomorrow, and it'll be the, the person sitting next to you on the pew the next day. Every one of us are troubled. We've got problems. We've got heartaches. We've got disappointments. We've all kinds of things going on. And what we can't do is let anything bog us down and get our eye off of what our purpose is. And we have to have a singular eye towards God and towards the heavens and get this gospel out before it's too late because time is running out. Paul lived his life believing that that could be the day that Jesus would stand out in the clouds and say, come up hither. That's how Paul lived his every day. Uh, uh, and and I, I want to do that. I, I don't want to live counting on tomorrow. I was talking to somebody already. The Bible, is, I see it more true every day. I, I wake up. Uh, sufficient for the day is the evil thereof. Right? And there's no telling what a day might bring forth in your life. 
right? You're living today, you think you're doing good, and out of nowhere, God's able to put you down in the hospital and make you wish you would have got the gospel out today. He might put you in a place where you don't have anybody to talk to, but somebody needs Jesus. Yeah, never tell, no telling what the Lord may do. No telling what the world's going to do, what the devil's going to do. So while we've got the time, let's do all that we can, redeeming the time for the days are evil. And if the days are evil, the only cure for the evil is the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no other hope. We can try to get them in the church and we can baptize them and they'll be twofold more the child of hell. Isn't that true? We're going to have to get them the gospel. We're going to have to tell them about Jesus and let the power of the gospel, God shine the light in on them and they believe it, God make them a new creature and then you won't have a whole lot to worry about. Right? Won't, won't, won't have to be chasing them down and teaching them a whole lot because they'll have the Holy Ghost in them teaching them. Wonderful. Isn't that wonderful? So he's getting, he's getting our minds refined. And I don't know about you, this is where God has me at the time uh, in, in my life. I'm just, I'm trying to shed, you know, that verse that says, lay aside the weights and the sins which so easily beset you. Can I say something? I mean, if we think about this race that we're running and all run, but only one wins, right? I don't like to lose. Does anybody, in, anybody else in here want to like to uh, just get a participation trophy? I, if, if somebody gave me a participation, I would throw it as far as I could chuck it. How degrading. I wasn't good enough to win, but thanks for, here's your showing up trophy. Give that to somebody else. That's, boy, it makes me feel, I wasn't good enough, Jeremy, to win, but here we want to make you feel better about yourself. Here's your participation trophy. Boy, we ruined kids when we started that mess, didn't we? Here's, here's, here it is, kids. Only one's going to win. And second is a loser. You either win or lose. Well, at least I was on the team. Well, you can think that if you want to. I like to win. And if I can't win, I'm not playing. Brother Phillips, I'm not good at golf, and I'm not going to play. I can drive the cart good, and I can make fun of you while you're playing, but I'm not going to play something I'm not good at. And what, what, what the Lord exhorts us in the word of God is to run this race like you're running against everybody else, though you're not. I'm not in competition with Brother Reed. Uh, what that verse is saying, uh, uh, only one win, uh, the prize. If I don't win my prize, nobody wins it. Me and him are not competing for the same crown, right? But I'm to run like I'm in a race with everybody else and I want to win. That's how I'm, that's the mindset he wants us, but that, that, that's not the picture of the reality. You young men are not in competition with Jesus to see which one of you gets, his, gets to be his favorite. I think the disciples had that problem, didn't they? And so, because uh, the, they came to him and asked him, and even Peter, well, what about him? <laughs> you know, what is it if I leave him here and well, I always worried about somebody else. Hey, just keep them blinders on like this and just look straight ahead, forgetting the things that are behind and press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And just keep going forward. But the, but, but the, but the, but the, the that, that race is not merely to live as consecrated and holy as you possibly can, right? We're also involved in bringing, which that kind of life glorifies God. God wants us to live holy. Do you believe that? 
God's sin does not bring glory to God. Romans taught us that. And so, but part of this, part of this thing is some of us, have, we have a real tendency in our, in our flesh uh, to think that we've arrived somewhere if we can put off as much weight and as much sin, but yet not do nothing. I'm not sure that that's a life that glorifies God, is it? If I, if I am just a, 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 a holy person and I, I've put off all these things and I, I, I constantly in the New Testament, it's not enough to put off, ever. You never just see a putting off. You always see also a putting on, right? It takes two signs. It's not enough just to not do X, Y, and Z. You got to also do A, B, and C, Right? And so, so in this race that we're running, a part, of, a part of that race, involved in that race, is taking this gospel to every creature so that every person can hear what you got to hear when God shed his grace on you. Amen. Right? And so it's not enough to just isolate yourself and insulate yourself and, and, and consecrate yourself and, and, and travel from camp meeting to camp meeting. That's what fundamentalists do in these days. The world's burning in hell and we travel from one meeting to the next and one church service to the next and we'll go months without telling anybody about Jesus and think we're doing God such a great service. Can I say something I don't mean this mean because I've been just as guilty. We are foolish to believe that. And I'm for camp meeting. I want to go to every camp meeting I can go to. Well... The way some of them are going, I don't know. I don't know about some of them. I want to go to every one of them where God is. Don't you? I, I enjoy meeting. I enjoy shouting around. I like to shout. I like to praise the Lord. I like to enjoy the goodness of the Lord. I like to enjoy his blessings. I like to, I love all those things. I love revival meetings and tent meetings and prayer meetings and, and camp meetings and jubilees. I love all that stuff. But what good is it when the world's burning on fire around us and they're, they're, they're literally on the edge of being, of, of all of them be burned in a fire in which they don't never be quenched and me and you are hopping from meeting to meeting rejoicing in the goodness of God. No wonder God's unhappy with us. And I'm, I'm not against it. I'm telling you, I'm going to sign us up to go to every meeting I've got even that much confidence in. And I'm going to try to encourage them and I'm going to try to get encouragement. I'm going to try to do everything I can to, as you therefore have opportunity, good and all men, but especially those of the household of faith. I want to do all that. But that doesn't relieve us of our responsibility in telling this world about Jesus. In fact, all of those things, our revival meetings, the Jubilee, the camp meeting we're going to be having here in October, it's to build us up, to edify us, to help us, to enable us to face this ungodly world with the gospel of Jesus. That's what it's for. It's not so that we'll come in here and feel really good and emotional and, and, and man, boy, that felt really good. There's a purpose to it. There's a design to it in which is supposed to enable us and help us and aid us and living the Christian life, right? That's not the pinnacle of, of Christian belief, of, of, of Christ's life. And who's a raven hill? He said, is everything that you're living for worth Christ dying for? And the answer is no. We're wasting time with things that do not matter. If we, if we, had, if we had as much, if we spent as much time giving the gospel out, as we do criticizing others, hunting, fishing, entertain ourselves. Come on, you know I'm telling it right. 
God help us. I don't know. I don't know what happened. Some of us are more faithful to pay for a meal in the drive-through of the car behind us than we are to give out the gospel. Amen. You know why you do that? It's because a person in front of you paid for it, and you feel an obligation in your conscience to pay for the one behind you. And that's a good thing. Unless you're like Michael, and I pay for his, and all his kids, all they got was a drink, and my family comes through the next week and orders, and it's 60-something dollars because I got to feed seven people. He lost out on that deal, didn't he? Y'all know I'm telling it, right? Somebody pays for you in front of you, and you feel like, man, what a great thing. And, and, and man, you got something in you, and you think, well, I'm gonna, I can't just let this go. I got to pay for the one behind me. You know you do it. And then God sheds his grace on you, redeems your life from destruction, and it stops there. You feel no obligation to carry that good grace on and pass it on down. I'll tell you why that is. is because we have an enemy that's battling against this gospel a whole lot more than he's battling you and keeping you unhappy. Our life focuses around, well, the devil's after me. He's keeping me unhappy. Well, why don't you just die unhappy and give out the gospel? Please God anyhow. That'd be fine to do, wouldn't it? God doesn't want us to be unhappy. We're going to be happy in doing what we're doing. But what I'm saying is we have got to get serious about this matter of giving out the gospel. I, I, I appreciate our missions program. I do. I think it's wonderful. I think it's great. I'm for it. And, uh, and uh, I want to continue all of that. But I, I want a greater burden in my heart. I wonder why sometimes my heart, uh, I, I don't, I, you know, I, I judge myself fairly harshly and critically, as many of you probably do. And if I get in a service where everybody's rejoicing and shouting and I'm sitting there like, Lord, it must be me. Something's wrong with me. I just, I can't, I'm not with it. I'm not feeling it. Anybody ever do that? And so I'll judge myself by that. And I really, we ought to gauge ourselves about how much we give out the gospel to other people. If we really want to know how we're doing spiritually, what kind of burden do we have for lost people? And I think by that measuring stick, I'm probably doing a whole lot worse than I do shouting in a church. And so uh, here's the good news. Say, well, appreciate you beating us down, making us feel terrible. No, I'm just telling the truth. And here's the hope. We don't have to do that anymore. Well, preacher, I, I just can't do it. Yeah, you can. The same way you get in your car and you drive to Walmart and you drive over here to eat and you go over here. It's just the same way you do everything else. Right? When's the last time some of us invited somebody to church? When's the last time? I mean, seriously, we, we, come on now. Don't die. When's, when's the last time we got, we, we've been so critical. We're so worried about this and we're so worried about that. And, and there's some things that aggravate me. <laughs> Most of you know, I can't keep much of it to myself. Boy, there's some things that aggravate me. And we're letting that consume our life. Come home and kids hadn't done something, or the house looks a certain way, or somebody does something here it aggravates you. You know it do us it do us pretty good if we just take a real good look at ourselves. Wonder how God's aggravated at us at the opportunities missed. Have you ever gone back to think? And I know I'm just talking. I'll get to the text here in just a minute. Get through this. Just talk. This is on my heart. Have you ever gone back and thought about the times that you missed? 
telling somebody about the Lord, inviting them to church, giving them the gospel. You ever go back and think, I, w- I wonder what happened to them. Does anybody else do that? I wonder if they died without God. I wonder if right now they're screaming in the pits of hell. I wonder, I wonder if they are. I don't know. I let them go. Didn't even try. And uh, that weighs heavy on me. I don't know about you. That just weighs heavy on me. I, I, re- I really have... I love God's church. I love, I love the church. I love the church building. I love the church people. I love everything about church. I do. I know a lot of you do. You wouldn't be here. You'd have to love it to come here and listen to me or be crazy one. Maybe both, some of you. I'm not going to name any names, but uh, I do. I, I, I want to make sure things are. I, I think anything we do for God ought to be the absolute best in the world. Amen. I think no matter what we're doing, we ought to do our best, give our best, except for when it comes to giving out the gospel. Amen. Seems like that don't matter too much, does it? We'll make sure that this is done right and that's done right. But if I pass. 30 people today, 20 people today, if I eat and see 10 people today somewhere, and I don't tell one of them about Jesus, it don't bother me at all. Does that bother any of you? It bothers me when it doesn't bother me. That's when I'm bothered. And what I'm confessing to you is, is when we get our eyes on everything else, and I'm not saying you leave these things undone. Jesus taught that with Martha. You don't leave nothing undone. God doesn't expect you to give out the gospel at the expense of your joy. Right? He doesn't expect you to give out the gospel at the expense of coming to church. Right? God doesn't expect things that you can't accomplish, that he won't give you the ability and power to do. But I I don't know about you, but I feel, if anything, uh, in my life right now is getting refocused on some of these things. And my pastor used to always tell me I would just obsess over some things. There's some things, there are some things, I know I'm rambling, but that's just what you're going to get today. Maybe it'll help you, okay? Uh, There are some things, Brother Reed, you go to my house and you talk about OCD. I am obsessive compulsive over some things. And then there's other things I could care less. You open the car door of my passenger seat, James Jones Jr. would have a nervous breakdown. I doubt he'd get in. He'd probably call Sandra to pick him up. There's food on the floor. I could care less about that old thing. Just, just throw it in the floor. Who cares? It doesn't bother me at all. But then there's certain things, buddy, I'm just as. And, it, and it's like that way in my Christian life, it seems like often. And, 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 and I'm not giving an excuse for that, but what I am saying is, goodness gracious, if we're going to let anything slip, let's let it not be getting the gospel into the hands of people that are in blindness and darkness even till now. Because if it's hid, it's hid to them that are lost. You, you, might, you, might, not, you might slip up here. You might not uh, get your tie right or get your shirts right or get it tucked in or get look. You might fail there and I don't want you to. I want you to look good when you come in here and you come to worship the Lord. But man, if you're going to slack somewhere, I'd rather slack there than I'd rather, and I don't want to slack and getting the gospel out to people because there's a daddy out there with a family. There's a mother that's been praying for her husband. There's a child that some mother's been praying for lost without God. And I may be the very person to come across them that day. And I'm so tore up because of Sally Longtongue that I don't care nothing about that. I'm so mad at what she said and I'm going home and I've completely forgotten about this poor sinner that needs the gospel. 
We got to stop doing that. We got to get reprioritized and refocused on getting this gospel out to this world. By missions and personal events, we just got to do it. There's no, there's no excuse. There's no plan. There's no program. You just got to do it. Right? There's no easy way to do it. There's no wrong way to do it, I don't think. I don't think you can give the gospel to the wrong person at the wrong time. Just give the gospel to sinners. Right? And that's what I feel like he's trying to... Man, this this is childish stuff. We ought to be moving way beyond this childish junk that we're dealing with. And we ought to be worried about people dying and burning in hell. That ought to bother some of us. But it don't. We stay tore up over everything. When's the last time you even shed a tear over the people you call to complain to about everything else that goes on around here? Do you ever call and, and tell them about this poor person you passed and about a soul needs saved? I doubt it. God help us. Come on now. Boy, we get refocused. And young people, can I help your Christian life? You might miss, can I just, you, you got to get everything else out of your life. You got to get all that out of your mind and get all that out of and refocus on what God's purpose is for you. And God's purpose in saving you is to get glory to himself. And his purpose in leaving you is so that you'll tell others the gospel of Christ. That's his purpose for every Christian. And it'll help you sometimes when you're just overcome with just so much junk. Just doubts and fears of yourself and worries and all the things that you're struggling with. You know what will help more, any, more than anything is when I just go out and take a few little gospel tracts and try to give them out to somebody. There's nothing that will help me get over myself any more than that. I'll encourage you to do that. I, I really want to encourage you to do that. It will help you, but it will also bring glory to the Lord. And that's what he's trying to get their focus on. And we'll get down here. So give me just a few minutes. And we saw our participation. We see our power. Certainly uh, he's going to go into that as to why all the suffering. Why does it have to be done this way? And if anybody was more acquainted than suffering other than Jesus, it would have been Paul. And he stops and talks about that in chapter number one. Uh, he's a uh, member I've preached that chapter. Here's one of my favorite chapters talking about the God who comforts us in all tribulations. But he said in verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 1, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And so the consolation obviously is there and he deals with that in them and tells them they've got a effectual salvation that's able to endure the same affliction we also suffer. And so, but he says in that verse 5, he said, the sufferings of Christ abound in us. And uh, yet he's able to stay focused and not faint. And he's going to tell us how and he's going to give us a little explanation as to why. You're, sometimes we wonder why we're suffering all the time. Why, are we, why am I constantly in weakness? Anybody feel that way? Every time you wake up, I got over one thing and I woke up and now I'm sick with something else. I'm down again. It's just one t- It's like every time you wake up, there's just some kind of problem in your life. I'm not talking about externally. That's a whole other issue. I'm talking about just your own problems within yourself. Your mind, your health. Why is that? And he tells us that the excellency of the power may be of God. And so when we're weak, and I'm trying to trust that this morning, I'm awful weak. And so the Bible said when I'm weak, he's strong. So, Lord, I'm trusting you to be strong since I'm weak. 
Right? That's what the Bible said. And so we've got to, we've got to uh, understand that in, though we're suffering, we can't let our sufferings, because uh, I see more people get discouraged and down, and when they start focusing on their sufferings and the temporal and the seen, not only do they faint in giving out the gospel, but they start fainting in other places of their life. And I know that's easy to do. So he gives us these things. I'll give them to you quickly. Problems but not distressed, meaning we've, we're never without help. We're perplexed, but not in despair, meaning we're never without hope. We're persecuted, but we're not disowned, meaning we're never without him. Now look at verse number nine. Let's start there. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Kind of ended there last time. And so we see our persecution, but not disowned, meaning we're not without him. And then we see we're put down, but we're not destroyed. And so that means we're never without a home. <laughs> we're never annihilated. We're never, it's never going to be over for me and you, Brother Easley. We're always going to live forever. You're saved in here. You may be persecuted, but you're not destroyed. You're not annihilated. There'll always be a home for you. And that's why he said, fear not what men would do to the body. Right? Fear God. He's able to destroy both bodies. And so the question of hell has already been answered, so I have nothing but a home waiting for me in glory. I may be persecuted, but I'm not disowned. And I may be put down often, but I'm never destroyed. It may get so bad, hey, I don't know that what the, what, as you sit here this morning, may be the blood clot that's going to kill you when you get home. I don't know. What's, what's in your body right now may be the very cancer that's fixing to eat you away and you'll be dead in two months. I don't know. I may beat some of you out of here. I, none of us know, right? Life's a vapor. Appeareth for a little time, vanishes away. We don't know what tomorrow holds, right? And so we may be persecuted, we're not disowned, and we may be cast down, but we're never destroyed. So always remember that in your sufferings and in your trials and and what he's, what he's picturing, if we're, when we go down through here now, because at the end of this chapter, before we say we know we have an earthly house in this tabernacle, if it be dissolved, we know we have a building. You know what he's going to talk about is the temporal and the eternal and the seen and the unseen. And you see the, you, the seen part, the visible part, is the first part, the persecution, the perplexities, the problems, the, uh, the, the put down, uh, all the sufferings of those things. But the unseen things is what we lay a hold of, which is what gets us over the things that we see. So yes, I'm suffering problems. I'm suffering persecution, but I'm never disowned. I'm never in despair. I'm never going to be destroyed. I've always got a hope within myself. I've got a real substance of evidence of things not seen. It's there. And so, so he starts repositioning them. Now let's remember, let's, we've, we've seen Christ, the image of God, and he shed his light in us and his love abroad in our heart. And so let's not faint in this gospel ministry because we've received mercy. Say, well, wait a minute, preacher, look at what all I'm suffering. Yeah, I know you're suffering because I'm suffering too. This is Paul speaking. I've been suffering from the day I got saved. They've tried to kill me from day one. Is that not what he's trying to portray to them? So we're always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. 
He's speaking personally here, but and, and, and yes, he may be speaking, but I don't believe he's speaking exclusively to about the about the apostles. I think all of us could find ourselves here. Anybody who, who who's, uh, let's see, what's that verse? He that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again rejoicing. Right? Why is he weeping? Probably because of this stuff right here. Problems and persecutions and put downs. And he's weeping, but he's bearing that precious seed. He's alone. It's a lonely life. Not everybody's going to go with you in that. And so, always remember when you're suffering and you're going through all these things, keep your eyes on the unseen, on the eternal things. And don't get your eyes on the persecution. Don't start looking at your problems. That's a quick way to faint. Is it not? Say, well, how am I going to get through it? What you're going to do is say, yeah, I'm persecuted, but I'm not in despair. That's, what, that's, that's how he overcomes it. It doesn't change the persecution. I'm put down, but I'm not destroyed. I'm constantly being belittled in that sense. Not always in the sense of verbal people belittling you, but I'm always putting down. I'm always decreasing. I'm always dying in my flesh that I may present it to him, right? Holy and acceptable unto God. And so that, all those things may be true. And God may never change what you're going through. In fact, the suffering you are doing and enduring today might get worse before you get home. The pain you feel now might get worse in an hour. I don't know. God may never change none of that. In fact, he may put more on you. God will never put more on you than you can bear. Well, that sounds good on a t-shirt from Zazzle, but that's not in the Bible. Sure, God will put more on you than you can bear. Why? So that you'll learn to trust him. And then he's going to teach you that take my yoke upon you for it's easy and my burdens are light. Right? My yoke is easy. And so so he puts us in these things and we're persecuted and we're cast down and we're going through these problems and the devil's battling us and our flesh aches it and all those things we're dealing with. But we can always rise above it because we always have a home. We always have help. We always have hope. And you'll always have him. Well, that's not a lot of consolation. Well, it better be because that's all you're getting. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. It is enough. That's why he said, Paul said, don't feel sorry for me in chapter one, because I may be a partaker of the suffering, but make no mistake about it, I'm also a partaker of the consolation. So you might, don't feel sorry for me and my depression and my, my loneliness and my horrible thoughts of myself and my battles and all the things that, that you, know, you go through. Don't, don't feel too sorry for me because there's a faithful God in the heavens that's never one time failed to snuggle up beside me and give me something from this book and encourage my heart and keep me going another mile. Hallelujah. The God of all consolation. You're cast down, Christian, but you're not destroyed. Look at verse 10, always bearing about in the body of the dying, for the purpose of the life of Christ being made manifest in the same body, right? So look at verse number 11. That's our portrayal. Look at verse number 11. For we which all live are always living and dead. Jesus saved the life also be made in our mortal flesh. 
Verse number 12, so then death worketh in us, but life in you. Boy, I tell you, I, I think that's the key to Paul's victory is he learned to live his life in service for others. And he died in great victory. He said this in, first, in the first chapter. I think it's the first chapter. Or maybe Philippians. I may be getting confused. But I know he made this statement. All things are for your sake. I know he said this in chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians. Whether I'm suffering or whether I'm comforted, it's for you. <laughs> Good night. Could you imagine loving yourself so little and others so much that no matter what God done for you in your life, it was always for the sake of others? Boy, I hope to arrive there somewhere down the road. Don't you? Some of us, are so, we're so consumed with ourselves. God help us. Man, we start thinking about others, living sacrificially for others. And that's how Christ lived Listen to what Tyler brought out this morning. Turn to John. Is it 12? And I read over this as he went to John 12. Where did Paul learn this behavior? (laughs) I think he learned it from Jesus, don't you? I sat and Tyler, you lost me during the devotional this morning because I read this one part and just my mind just started going. I want you to read this now. John 12. Verse 27, he just gets done telling, if any man serve me, let him follow me. Where I am, there also shall be my servant. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. But look at verse 27. Now is my soul troubled. That's hard to think about, isn't it? Is Jesus any less God at this moment? Is he able to see any less than he's always been able to see? Is, is, is he still omniscient? Is he still omniscient? He's everything. He's altogether God right here, just as much as he always has been. And the Bible says, this is him of himself saying, my soul is troubled. Now, that's biblical. This isn't in any sense poor, trying to pick out something that's some kind of failure in Jesus. Uh, but, but his soul was troubled. You ever think about the Son of God, the Son of Man, his soul was troubled. And you don't think he don't understand when your soul's troubled? And he knew, see, me and Brother Ezra were talking about this. One of my greatest problems with suffering and and, and the problems that I have in life, it's it's the fear of the unknown, but it's also the fear of the outcome. I don't know how it's going to turn out. When they were saying all that about Hunter and Hunter went to the hospital, that's what was tearing me up because all, all I could do is go by the doctor's worst picture and what he was saying was probably going to happen. And I, don't, I, didn't, I certainly don't believe him. I quit believing doctors a long time ago. I may have come in on a load of pumpkins in the morning, but it wasn't this morning. And now them doctors, every one of them know everything about this body. And it, the fear was... I didn't know how it was going to turn out. At the time, he was okay. He was talking to you. He was hurting, but he's fine. But how they were fearing the, the future, the fear of that, just gripped my heart. Because I didn't know how it was going to turn out, let alone be able to affect it in any positive way other than prayer. And so the fears of those of us, and here's the Son of God 
who's known, who's declared the end from the beginning. Has he not? I'm, I'm going to wrap it up here quick. He knows that he, he's the alpha and the omega. He knew what was going to happen in the a hundred thousand years from now. He knows everything about everything. There's nothing lacking in the knowledge of God. There's nothing he doesn't know. There's not a time that he doesn't know about. He's, one man put it this way: God's never learned anything, right? Has it ever occurred to you that nothing's ever occurred to God? This is God. My soul is troubled. Yet I even know what's going to go on in the future. What did Hebrews 12 say? For the joy that was set before him endured despising the shame. Now, here's me and you. I don't even remember putting my shoes on this morning. Let alone have any idea of what the outcome of something's going to be. Can I get an amen on that? I know I'm long preaching. Don't fall out the window. I'm almost done. And... uh, Now, Isaiah 53, and he shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Jesus offered his very soul, not just his body. And he said, now is my soul troubled. And you know what? To just help me this morning to know the Son of God had trouble in his soul. Are you troubled this morning? So are you troubled and wearied? Are you troubled? Look at what he said. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. <laughs> Your soul's troubled. You're worried. You're afraid. You're scared. You don't know what to do. What, do you, what can you do? There's nothing you can do. All you can do is pour out your soul to God. And what am I going to say? Save me from this hour? No. Listen to what he said. What got him through it? For this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. That's the same idea as he prayed, not my will, but thine be done. So you may be suffering, you may be going through things and Get your eyes off of those things. Know you're in good company. Our Savior's been touched with that. He knows what you're going through and he'll not forsake you. He'll be with you the whole, all the way. But you're going to have to come to a place that if it never gets better, if God never released me of this, I'm going to give my dying breath to bring glory to the Father's name. You better get that resolve in your soul because life is not going to go the way you thought it was going to go. That person you're married to is not always going to turn out to be who you thought they were. How many of us know situations like that? Now, I exceeded my wife's expectations, and Jeremy did, but the rest of y'all I don't know about. (laughs) But you know, the only thing I know that we can do is I feel like, Lord, where are we going to go? What What are we going to do? We're just going to trust God. That's what we're going to do. That's what Jesus, the Son of God, did. My soul is troubled. But I'm not going to say God saved me for this hour. For this cause came out into this hour. I'm not going to say God keep this stuff from me. Because I'm appointed unto this. 
Aren't me and you? So I'm not going to say God said, what I want you to do, God, is in this situation, I want you to get glory to your name from my life. Is that not what Jesus is saying here? Boy, that helped me. Doesn't it help you to know that your Savior suffered and his soul is troubled? Now, I'm done. Go back to 2 Corinthians 4. We see our portrayal. That's the life we must manifest. When we're dying and we're being delivered and we're suffering, we're manifesting love and care and kindness and bringing glory to the Lord. Isn't that hard? Boy, that's tough. But God will help us to do it. We're going to have to come back here tonight because we need to go to the Psalms. We have in the same spirit of faith... According as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. Also we believe, and therefore we speak. In verse number 13, we're going to begin to look somewhat at our persuasion. As we have seen, and already our verse number 12, we saw this great affliction that he summed up when he began this in verse number 7. He's going to change gears here a little bit in verse 13 and talk about the persuasion. And I know this is hard, but all I can do is just give you what the Bible says. I've not mastered it either. But there is some times that you go through things in your life you don't understand. You don't know what you're going to do. You see no way out of it. You don't see. I mean, I'm telling you, it's like... It's like this psalmist is going to go on and say, the sorrows of death and the pains of hell come past me, about me. That's what the psalmist is going to go and say. And you feel like you're in that kind of situation. And this is simple. This is not just some breathtaking statement that I'm going to make. I just want to encourage you. The only option you have other than quitting is to just trust God. Amen. I don't know where it's going. I don't know what your purpose is. I don't understand, Lord. I just, just trust God. Amen. Just keep trusting God. God will see you through. So let's get our affections set right. Get refocused on others and getting the gospel out. And we know that if nothing else, we can do that and bring glory and honor to the Lord, even in the midst of pain and suffering, just like Jesus did, Amen. who lived his life as Lord of all, yet a servant unto all. Right. God helped me to have that Christ-like spirit in myself and think more about others than my own happiness and my own health. I worry more about my health than anybody going to hell. Does anybody else do that? If I prayed that God would save some people in my life as much as I worried about how good I feel today, man, no telling what God might do. And that's hard to do when you don't feel good. But I know that's the only way out of it. We're just going to get more depressed if we keep looking at the temporal. Let's, let's lay hold of the unseen things. Lord, we love you. I pray that you'd give us an eternal eye. Let us see past ourselves and beyond ourselves, beyond the sufferings that Paul somehow was able to say a light affliction. When he weighed in the balance, the sufferings of this present time and the glory that is laid at head of us. 
he was able to say it was light and God's crowns are heavy. Lord, help me to strive more for these crowns. Bring glory to your name and not faint. Be more faithful in giving out the gospel. I love you. In Jesus' name. Stand to your feet. We'll have just a moment. Brother Reed's going to sing. If you need to come, the altars are open. What number is that? Have thine own way, Lord. 387? Sing along.